1: Jesus' earthly ministry, recorded for us in Luke chapter 4. That's under the magnifying glass. Next, as we examine his first sermon, recorded for us in Luke, Abounding Grace is next. Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Welcome to today's edition of Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner has us in a series entitled The Ministry of Jesus Christ. As we've seen all week, here in chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, is the public ministry of Jesus and its beginnings. And right out of the chute, he gives us a message out of Isaiah 61 and a message that incites people to want to kill him. So exactly what is Jesus preaching? That's the subject of our time today. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with this edition of Abounding Grace.
0: Well, on a preaching tour of Galilee, Jesus walks into a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth and chooses to preach on Isaiah 61, which is, if you remember, presupposes Leviticus 25 and that great Mosaic legislation the year of jubilee that was celebrated every 50 years in Israel. To announce the beginning of this special year, which began on the Day of Atonement, a ram's horn would be sounded to declare a new day had begun, a fresh start. And the reason it began on the Day of Atonement was to teach the people of God that all the blessings that the Messiah would bring to earth were based upon His atoning death alone. Leviticus 25 tells us of the provisions, the blessings that God would bestow upon Israel every 50 years. There would be the return of property to its original owner. If for one reason or another you had to give up your property during the 49 years prior to the year of Jubilee because of financial difficulty, then on the year of jubilee, your property would be returned to you as the original owner. There would be the release of slaves. Sometimes, in order to pay off debts, a Hebrew would sell himself into slavery as an indentured servant. The person who they sold themselves to would have an investment in that person's labor. But every 50th year, all the slaves of Israel had to be released. There was also the cancellation of debts. Any charitable loan that was outstanding had to, first of all, be limited to six years and then had to be canceled every seventh year and every 50th year. Also on the 50th year, you couldn't cultivate or harvest the land. You couldn't develop it. You had to let the land rest. Now, this was an agricultural society. And the since the land had to rest every 50 years, it taught the Hebrews that they had to be future-oriented and disciplined in their financial behavior. Remember, this Jubilee time pointed to the great blessings in the future that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would bring to his people. And every 50 years, this would teach in a vivid fashion to God's people what the Messiah would do when he comes. He's going to bring social justice. He's going to bring restoration of the land to his people. He's going to bring a debt-free, poverty-free society upon the earth where people treat one another justly. He's going to bring the renewal of worship, the renewal of people's hearts spiritually, the renewal of the Christian community, the renewal of families, of all, of life on this side of the grave and beyond throughout all of eternity because of the birth of the Messiah. Isaiah picks up on the Mosaic legislation and makes the underlying principles of the jubilee year, his prophecies for the future. And now Jesus comes to his hometown, Nazareth. He reads Isaiah 61 in synagogue worship and makes these points. He says, the day that Isaiah 61 prophesied has come. The jubilant kingdom of God has made its appearance in history. All of those tremendous blessings, the establishment of social justice, the restoration of the church, the renewal of individuals' hearts, the blessings of God's covenant heaped upon the heads of God's people throughout the entirety of their lives, down through their generations. An everlasting covenant has finally broken into history. That day has dawned. And those blessings are beginning to be experienced in the lives of God's people and will grow more and more until they are finally and perfectly fulfilled in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are three words to describe how our Lord fills these blessings in our lives. Definitive, progressive, and final. The great era of Jubilee and the kingdom of God came definitively with the incarnation of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And now, having arrived into history, these blessings are making their way through history progressively and triumphantly until finally, at the end of the world, they bring total perfection. And beloved, the same is true of you when you begin to experience the blessings of the jubilee and the kingdom of God, and it comes into your heart, it, it comes definitively, definitively at the new birth. You are not made perfect, but you are made new. And now throughout the rest of your Christian life, there is a progressive maturing of your life, sanctification, and those blessings become more and more conspicuous in your life until finally, at the end of life, spiritually, and at the return of Christ physically, all these rich blessings are enjoyed by you in full and total perfection. Now, that was the first point Jesus made in his sermon that day, that the jubilant kingdom of God has now come into history. It's not something that you have to wait for some far-off day into the future. It is here with all of its blessings and with all of its saving power. And boy, did that ever excite the crowds. Now, a second point didn't excite them quite as much. It aroused their curiosity, and it made them just a little mad. But the second point was this. I, said Jesus, am the one who is bringing the Jubilee down to earth. I am the Messiah, and I am the one who is going to cause all these promises to come true. And I am going to establish God's kingdom on earth and transform human life. He said in verse 21, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. He's looking right at his audience. And he is saying to them, you are hearing me preach in this synagogue in Nazareth in the first century. And I am the one Isaiah was talking about. I am the one who is the Spirit-anointed Messiah. I am the one speaking in Isaiah 61. I, he says, spoke through Isaiah's mouth. When he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he was speaking of me, the Son of God. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am the one now who through my ministry and my life is going to preach the gospel to the poor, who is going to proclaim liberty to the captives, who is going to heal the blind, set free the downtrodden and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, which was Isaiah's term for the year of jubilee, the year of joy, the kingdom of God upon earth. I am the one who is going to cause all these things to happen. And they are happening right while you are hearing me preach this powerful word in Nazareth. I am the one who is going to bring salvation to the poor. And before I go any further, it's always important to identify who the poor are, who the Lord Jesus Christ came to save, because the Bible is clear that The people Jesus Christ came to identify himself were poor people. You can't get around it, no matter how you try, beloved, nor should you even want to try to get around it. All of the blessings that the Lord came to bestow are to be bestowed upon poor people. That is why Jesus said later on that it's almost impossible for a rich man to be saved. In fact, the great blessings of this happy year of Jubilee, predominantly the poor are going to enjoy. Predominantly poor people are going to get in on the saving operations of the kingdom of God. Predominantly the poor are going to be set free. Predominantly the poor are going to have the gospel preached to them. Predominantly the poor are going to have their blindness healed. Predominantly, the poor and the afflicted and downtrodden and crushed will be set free. So, who are the poor? Our Marxist friends, who like to hide their Marxist ideals behind Christianity, like to use ideas like this to defend their views, to try and stir up the poor people of this world to revolt against their oppressors. Well, is that that what Jesus is getting at? I came to earth to identify with and bring my blessings to poor people indiscriminately throughout the earth. You see, it's important that you properly understand who these poor people are. Because the difference is between Marxism and Christianity. So if you would turn to Isaiah 10. This is one of the passages that clearly identifies for us who these poor people are, that Jesus came to save, to identify with, that he came to set free, to release from debt, forgive them of their sins, to restore them to their land, to heal their blindness. Isaiah 10, verses 1 and 2. Woe to those who enact evil statutes. And to those who constantly record unjust decisions so as to to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of their rights, in order that widows may be their spoil and that day may plunder the orphans. Now, right there is a simple passage that clearly identifies these needy people, these Poor people, these widows and orphans, these people who are being oppressed unjustly in Christ, and they are not the poor of the world indiscriminately. Poor Hindus, poor Buddhists, poor Muslims, poor animists. It is the poor among God's people. It is God's people who are viewed as those who are crushed and weighed down by sin, apostasy, and divine judgment. Come, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for the weary and those heavy laden by sin and by the judgment of God that comes upon a person's life, as well as the oppression and the harassment, the real poverty that comes with all that. It's not just a spiritual poverty, because God's people experience the judgment of real poverty, real oppression real political oppression, real injustices in the world, not just spiritual. It is those people the Lord Jesus Christ came to set free. He came to set free his poor in spirit who mourned over their sins, but who were being oppressed because of their sins. And he was going to set them free from anyone and everyone who oppressed them. And set at liberty all the poor people of God. And Jesus is saying, I have come to do all of this. I am here and through my life and through my ministry and my preaching, all of this is going to take place. In other words, he was identifying himself to that audience in Nazareth as the very fulfillment of the old testament prophecies of the messiah he was identifying himself as none other than the one anointed of the lord about whom isaiah spoke there was a predominant perception of the messiah among the jews in jesus day that he would be an earthly king that is what they looked forward to more than anything else In that time of the first century, the Jews were preoccupied with the fact that the Messiah would be a king, but they had a mistaken notion of what kind of king he would be. They expected his king to be predominantly Jewish military political kingdom that would by might set free the Jewish nation from the oppression of the Roman Empire. Then when Jesus allowed himself to be crucified, turning out not to be the type of king they expected, they turned their backs on him. In fact, they turned their backs on him before he was crucified, as we're going to see later on in Luke. Well, they were right in expecting the Messiah to be a king, just not the kind of king they desired. In fact, that has been one of the major themes of Luke throughout the gospel so far. Luke said in Christ's birth narrative that he was the Son of the Most High. He told us that Jesus Christ was the Son of David. He is the promised King of the kingdom of David. He is the one who was baptized and anointed just like the kings of the Old Testament. John the Baptist gave testimony to his superiority, the one, he said, who was mightier than I, the one whose shoe I am not worthy to untie. A voice came out of heaven from God himself, quoting a passage of Scripture that was a prophecy telling us that Jesus would be a great king. Time and again, Christ is presented in the gospel of Luke as a king. And now, here in Nazareth, you have what you might call Christ the king's, inaugural address. He is standing before the Jewish congregation, and he is saying, and he is giving his inaugural address, I am the king. Now, these men weren't alive at the time, but he could have said, Franklin Roosevelt might talk about his New Deal, Lyndon Johnson might talk about his great society, but I am here to talk about a new age, a a new day, a time of jubilee in the kingdom of God coming to earth. And it is being inaugurated today as I stand before you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. These jubilee prophecies were identified with the kingship of Christ. Now, if you would turn to Psalm 72, and I'm going to read you what I consider to be a great passage of Scripture. This passage just happens to be tied up with Leviticus 25, Isaiah 61, and Luke 4, because it helps us complete this picture of Christ as King. In Psalm 72, you have a tremendous prophecy about how the Messiah would be a great king and what his kingdom would do. And it would be the same thing that Moses said the day of Jubilee would do. And what this king of Psalm 72 would do would be the same thing Isaiah said the Messiah would do. And Jesus is saying, in effect, I am the fulfillment of all this. I am going to put all of these things into effect in your life as a great king And everything the Bible says the king, the Messiah will do, I am going to do in your hearts and on this earth. So let's read Psalm 72. Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge the people with righteousness and the poor with judgment. Social justice for the poor and the afflicted of God. The mountains shall bring peace to the people and the little hills bring righteousness. He will judge or vindicate the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces or crush the oppressor. Now, Jesus is saying, I am the king who is bringing in this year of jubilee, that great era of blessings and everything the Bible says that I'm supposed to do, I will do. I'm going to judge and rule over all the people with justice. I'm going to bring salvation to those of my people who are afflicted. To vindicate on the heads of their oppressors and save the children of the needy of my people. He doesn't say to save them, to protect them. I'm going to rapture them out of the world. He says it's going to happen by crushing their oppressors. They shall fear thee as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass. The blessings of the reigning Christ are going to be like rain on the parched ground, causing things to grow and be productive. As the showers that water the earth in his day, that is, the days of Christ, shall the righteous flourish and abundance of peace so long as the moon endures. Jesus came to earth so that righteous people might flourish spiritually, materially, physically, and in every way. Jesus came to earth to establish his kingdom. That his people might experience abundant peace more and more until the new moon, it says, is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the rivers unto the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall bow down before him. All nations shall serve him. Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a government that crosses an, the entire earth. I'm going to rule everything. I'm going to rule everyone. I am going to rule every nation according to my will. And under my government, I am going to destroy all of my enemies and cause them to lick the dust. Kings of the earth shall bow down and worship me. All the nations of the world shall serve me. North Korea, Iraq, Iran, China, Venezuela, Russia, for he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also in him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their souls from deceit and violence and precious shall their blood be in his sight and he shall live And to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer shall also be made for him continually and daily shall he be praised. There shall be a handful of corn, or actually better translated, it shall be fruitful upon the tops of the mountains. Fruitful upon the tops of the mountains. The only thing that can grow on the tops of mountains, beloved, are pine trees and shrubs. So if you're going to have grain growing on the top of the mountains, and brother, you've got productivity, wealth, a great harvest, and all of this takes place during the reign of the Messiah. The fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon and the day of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel who only does wondrous things and blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ was telling these people in Nazareth. I've come to earth to make all these things come true, and I am not going to stop my work until you see all these things come true. Until you see all the nations serving me and bowing in submission to my government. Until you see all my people prospering physically, spiritually, corporately. Until they can prosper no more. Until you see my glory shine out and be praised by all the nations of this world. Beloved, that's what the church has to look forward to in the future.